0: So let's look at uh, John, uh, chapter 6, and uh, I want us uh, to read from verse uh, 35, uh, down to 40, I think. So, uh, no, 48, we're going to do 48. Jesus said to them, I am the bread of life. whose father and mother we know. How does he now say, I've come down from heaven? Jesus answered them, do not grumble amongst yourselves. No one can come to me unless the father who sent me draws him, and I will raise him up on the last day. It is written in the prophets, and they will be taught by God. Everyone who has heard and learned from the father comes to me. Not that anyone has seen the Father except he who is from God. He has seen the Father. Truly I, uh, truly I say to you, whoever believes has eternal life. I am the bread of life. So it's our, our habit at this time of year to, to spend some time thinking about uh, the coming of the Son of God into the world. And what I would like to do today is, uh, is, and in the weeks to uh, throughout this month, except when I'm not here next week, but uh, in the weeks this month, is to to answer the question: Why did Jesus come? And it could be very simply stated. Maybe you're thinking, "Yeah, I know the answer to that." (laughs) But there are many ways that Jesus answers that question, and it's very important that we get a full orbed grasp of why why Jesus came. Why did Jesus come into the world? Um, uh, if the church is not clear about why Jesus came into the world, then the world is never going to be clear about the gospel. It's never going to understand uh, why Christians generally around the world get very uh, uh, busy this time of year <laughs> uh, with uh, various celebrations. So why did Jesus come? Jesus gives many reasons for his coming, but they're all, of course, connected to a central idea. Uh, So today, we're going to look at a handful of those reasons that Jesus gives, uh, and I'm going to do it by looking at various statements that Jesus has made in John's Gospel. Um, And my hope is for two things, that we understand, first of all, the, the fullness of the salvation that we have, in Jesus Christ, uh, the salvation that Jesus holds out to the world, and also that we get a clear idea of what kind of God would work this kind of salvation for us. Um, so this morning I want to look at uh, the answer that Jesus gives in verse 38. For I have come down from heaven, not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. So I want to... Start, first of all, by talking about Jesus' desire as the man sent from heaven. It's stated very simply. He came to do the will of his Father, the one who sent him. He's speaking about his God in heaven. And this God has spoken uh, through his prophets in the ages past, in various kinds of ways, about the kind of God that he is, he He has spoken about his promises and his plans for humanity, his plans for salvation and redemption. So this big, thick bit at the beginning of the Bible, the Old Testament, is full of God speaking about his purposes and his plans for salvation, that's going to be worked out through a number of key people. So you, you see there are certain characters in the Old Testament that, uh, that pr- crop up. But the fruition of all of that, the, the flowering, if you like, of that uh, plant that has been growing in the Old Testament, is the coming of Jesus Christ. And uh, God made sure that Jesus' arrival was announced in advance both through the prophets and then to Mary. Uh, you may remember in, John, in Luke chapter 1, Gabriel appearing to Mary, uh, and to her surprise perhaps, uh, being told that she was going to bear a son, and that son was going to be the son that would sit on the throne of David. Uh, that was promised in 2 Samuel chapter 7, and uh, Mary uh, submits herself to, uh, to the glory of God and uh, accepts that, Jesus our uh, son is going to be the savior this king and then when Jesus is fully grown and his time has come to go to public, go public at his baptism remember uh, Matthew chapter 3 Luke chapter 4 and so on uh, Mark chapter 1 that voice comes from heaven that takes up to those words of of Psalm 2 and uh, Isaiah 42, where God says, God the Father says, this is my beloved Son, with whom I am well pleased. And Jesus is then sent, First, first part of his ministry is to be sent into the wilderness by the Holy Spirit. And so it's this God, this God who prepared the way for the coming of the Son, and spoke from heaven, Over Jesus. It's that God of whom Jesus said, uh, said, I have come down from heaven to do the will of him who sent me. And so you see, in order to, to bring about the salvation that God had promised, God had a will for Jesus. He had a purpose for him. There were things that he had to do. There were tasks that he had to perform. And in a moment, we'll come to what Jesus says here about that task, one particular aspect of that task. But for the moment, notice with me the single-mindedness of Jesus in setting about doing the will of his Father. Uh, Back in chapter 5, Jesus Verse 30, Jesus says a similar thing. He also says something in chapter four, but in chapter five, verse thirty, he says, I can do nothing on my own, as I hear, I judge, and my judgment is just, because I seek not my own will, but the will of him who sent me. It's not as though Jesus had a, a nine-to-five job. You know, he, he starts his work at nine and he knocks off at five and p- kicks back in the evening and watches TV or something. He he is single-minded. In his goal, always at all times, in every moment, to do the will of his father. You see how focused he was? How committed he was? Such an amazing example, I think, for us. If we're Christians today, to have that single-minded purpose to spend our lives seeking to do the will of of our Father, of course, it's not redemptive or anything like that, but uh, if we're going to be Christ-like, we, we learn from Jesus, don't we? To be single-minded, not double-minded, not divided, not pulled this way and that way, but have a single focus in our lives to do the will of our Father. If you're a follower of Jesus Christ today, um, is this how you live your life? A single-minded will and devotion uh, to his will. Well, Jesus had that will, desire to do only what his Father had called him to do. Now, before we get to, uh, to what the Father's will for Jesus was, it's worth just thinking, first of all, about what, what the Father's work was. What was the Father doing uh, in sending Jesus Christ? Did he just send him off and kind of uh, put his feet up? <laughs> And wait until Jesus has finished his work. Well, I want to think with you about the Father's work now. Uh, And and therefore, that sets the context for Jesus' work. And Jesus' will uh, doing the Father's will. Uh, That verse I read in in 530, um, we get a hint of uh, that the Father is doing something. Because Jesus says there, I can do nothing on my own. I can do nothing on my own on my own you see the father was also at work with jesus in his life the father was at work bringing about salvation and if we're if we're christians today there are many ways in which we can we may describe our own salvation we may describe you know you know people stand, sometimes stand up and give testimony to how they have become Christians. And we may describe the, the events that have led up to uh, receiving a salvation. Uh, maybe we can talk about all the struggles we had and the, the problems we faced and the, uh, the tension that there was before we finally said, I want to follow Jesus Christ. Uh, we may even describe the actions of our work. We may say, I made a decision for Christ, and I think, you know, that Seen in a certain way, that's true. Or I, you know, I went forward at a meeting or something, or I put my hand up, or I sat alone as, as I did. You know, And I prayed to God and, and received Christ as Lord and Savior. Uh, we can d- describe all of these different ways that we, we come uh, to salvation. These are all interesting stories that we can tell. But what we must learn and understand is that salvation into eternal life, first and foremost is a work of God. It's actually God who is doing the work. And I want to show you just what it is that the Father is doing in saving people. Let me just look with you at three verses. Um, Look at verse 37 that we read. Jesus says, All that the Father gives me will come to me. Notice what the father does here. It's like the father takes people and he gives them to his son. And of course, you know, the background to that relationship between the father and the son is, is that relationship of love within the, the persons of the Godhead, the Trinity. The Son loves the Father, and the Father loves the Son. And the the background to the whole plan of salvation for men and women, boys and girls, has everything to do with that relationship between Father and Son and Holy Spirit. Though he's not mentioned here. And if you read on in John, you'll see this more and more. Especially when you get to the last week of Jesus' life, and He he's in that upper room with the disciples, and he starts talking about uh, what's going to happen. But what does he start talking about? He starts talking about the relationship between relationship between the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Read it from John John fourteen thirteen onwards, 13 to 16. And Jesus, as it were, expounds the heart of God his Father and his heart and consequently the implications of all of that for the disciples. That love that f- overflows from God to the disciples and to the world. And as an outflow of that love between the Father and the Son, there is this marvelous giving of people by the Father to the Son. All that the Father gives to me uh, will come to me. And of course, the sign and evidence that, that God has given you to the Son Is that you have come to the Son, you see. All that the Father gives me will come to me. Will come to Jesus. So that's the evidence that God has been at work in you. God the Father has been at work in you, giving you to the Son. You have come to Jesus in faith and love. So that's the first verse. Two more. Let's look at the second one. Look at verse 44. No one, Jesus says, no one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him. And I will raise him up at the last day. Now that that word, draw, it's not like crayons. (laughs) It's it's like a fisherman uh, casting out the net and then drawing in the net. Like this. Or... Your, your fishing rod and winding in the, the line. You, it's God draws you in. It's, uh, and I use that fishing line because it's the same word here that is used of Peter in John 21. Remember, he caught the 153 fish that you didn't expect, and they are drawing the 153 fish in. It's that same word, uh, drawing the fish in. And that's what God is, God the Father is described as doing drawing people to himself and the way that therefore that people are saved is that God does this work of drawing you in and he says unless you're drawn in you you're not saved you need to be drawn in only only the father can do it now, that's, just think about that. Try and think about that in terms of your own experience. Is that not the experience of anyone who now calls himself a Christian? If you're a Christian today, you, you have known the joy of forgiveness of sin and acceptance with God and an ongoing walk with God through your life. Uh, but can you honestly say that you are the one who played a part in your conversion. Surely the only part that you can say that you played in your conversion is the wriggling of the fish trying to get away. Is that right? You know, when you first heard the gospel, you fought against it, you wriggled against it, you didn't want to become a Christian. You didn't, I uh, certainly didn't want to become a Christian, it had too many implications. When I was a, uh, a student, And you try and escape his drawing power. You're like a fish trying to get off the hook. Uh, C.S. Lewis, uh, the the great Christian philosopher and uh, literary expert uh, last century, uh, described his own way of becoming, uh, when he became a Christian. He put it this way. He says, eventually he gave in. I gave in and admitted that God was God. Perhaps that night, the most dejected and reluctant convert of all England. Uh, he was like a wriggling fish for years. Eventually he said, God is God. And I've come. But you see, the thing is, when God does start to draw you in, there's no amount of wriggling that's going to get you off the hook. Uh, the deal is sealed, as it were. And don't you rejoice that that's true? <laughs> I certainly do. When God dr- s- starts to draw you, you're in. You're coming home. I wonder if you maybe feel that today. Do you feel the draw of God in your life? Uh, maybe you're not a Christian and you're present here today, but inside you're wriggling to get away. You don't really want to uh, to come to God But maybe you just can't get away because there's something that's drawing you to Jesus Christ. That's what the Father does. He draws people out and He gives these people to His Son, Jesus. Third verse, verse 45. It is written in the prophets, and they will be taught, uh, and they will all be taught by God. Everyone who has heard and learned from the Father comes to me. This gives us the idea that of how God does the drawing. Uh, the quotation there is, from, is actually from Isaiah 54.13, where the Lord, God, speaks of his wonderful work in the future of gathering uh, a beleaguered and sin-ridden people uh, in love. And a crucial part of that gathering that God does is he teaches his people. So how does God draw people to his son and give them to his son? How does he do it? Through the word of God proclaimed. Through the preaching and the teaching of the word of God. And that's the main thing that Jesus was doing. Here, He, is, uh, he was, when he entered into his ministry, he started preaching and teaching. That is why he came, he said in, in Mark one thirty-eight. And it's the same today. Through the ministry. Uh, of the word and the preaching of the gospel uh, and the sharing of the gospel, uh, the drawing power of God is at work amongst his people. Drawing people to Jesus Christ. That's why the ministry of, of the word is so important in a church. Uh, is Whether it's in public like this we're doing just now or whether it's privately as we open up the Bible and speak to one another about the Bible and uh, what we're learning in the Bible and sharing with other people, Uh It's the means that God uses to draw his people to his son. So first and foremost, uh, in salvation, the salvation is a work of God the Father as he brings people to Jesus, the bread of life, uh, through his word. Isn't that a wonderful picture? Saving work of God, God the Father, giving people to his son. Well, let's move on. Let's talk about Jesus. Jesus' work in salvation. How does he fulfill the will of his Father? Three things about Jesus. Firstly firstly to say, um, if you haven't noticed already, he came from heaven, verse 38. uh, I have come down from heaven. Just think, let that sink in for a moment. Uh, We read the Chalcedonian Creed a moment ago, but this this is where it comes from. He came down from heaven. um, And you say to yourself, is he not just a man? That is what the Jews were saying. Isn't he just a man? He comes from, uh, isn't he son of Joseph and so on? Um, but here's the thing. There's there's no person on earth that ever has been or will be about whom you can say he came from heaven. Every person that exists in the world or has existed, except Jesus, has been knit together in his or her mother's womb, and that body and soul has been created. Nobody has come from heaven. But Jesus came from heaven. Jesus came down from heaven. Now, of course, Jesus has a body and a soul. He's been—he's taken them on to himself. He's—he's he's taken that nature, human nature, and he's uh, in a, a union which we struggle to understand—a union between God and man. He has become the God-Man, one person. But what Jesus is, is is the intervention of God into heaven, into into history. So Jesus came down from heaven. But what was the goal of this entry into human history and his consecration to the will of his Father? Well, look at verse 39. And this is the will of him who sent me. This is the will. Jesus defines it that I should lose nothing of all that he has given me, but raise it up on the last day. So on the one side, you've got the Father taking people and giving them to his Son. And Jesus, on the other hand, is saying, I'm receiving these people, and I will lose none of them. I lose none of them. He doesn't drop any. He doesn't leave them behind. He doesn't forget or drop them off a list or neglect them. He does not lose a single one. I was thinking about that 153 fish in John 21. Why is it that John mentions 153 fish? And, uh, you know, people have written... Screeds about the significance of 153. Uh, I, I think all it's saying is, God, you know, there's exactly that number. And I think it tells us something about God. About how God knows exactly the number of people, how Jesus knows exactly the number of people who are saved. Now, it's not 153, it's a symbolic number. Uh, I hope it's many more than that. <laughs> but it tells you something. God, the Father, knows exactly who he's going to save. And Jesus, the Son, saves exactly those number of people. Not a single one is lost. That's a wonderful truth, which, when you trace it back, is a wonderful comfort to every Christian. Am I in Christ? Am I with Jesus? Am I his then I am the Father's. If that's yes, then you're, you belong to the Father. Indeed, we realize it all started with the Father. There's no place for this idea that sometimes people have that Jesus is the nice one in the Trinity and he, he's willing to save everybody, but the Father has a, a limited number of people. Uh, father and Son are single minded in their goal to save this number of people, and they're completely identified. And their will to save those people. It has its origin in the love of God. Remember, it's the outflow of the love between the Father and the Son that these people are saved. Here's the third thing about Jesus. That through Jesus, all who have been brought to him will have eternal life and be raised up on the last day. That's there in verse 40. This is the will. It's the second definition this is the will of my father that everyone who looks on the son and believes in him should have eternal life and i will raise him up on the last day the life that we receive is a life that begins now through the power of the holy spirit you read that in john chapter 3 a new life a changed life never the same again but ultimately the resurrection of the uh, bot of the body is coming to bring to fullness that salvation I hope you believe in the resurrection, by the way. Um, I remember once having some Jehovah's Witnesses visit our house. and um, It's a while back now, but uh, I remember the lady told me how she had been converted out of nominal Anglicanism and became a Jehovah's Witness. And she had realized in becoming a Jehovah's Witness that uh, there was such a thing as the resurrection of the body. But then she said that she had never heard this in an Anglican church, the the Anglican church that she used to attend. So she assumed that Christians didn't believe in a resurrection of the body. I hope everybody here believes in a resurrection of the body. Um, But this Jehovah's Witness thought, I didn't believe in the resurrection of the body. So we had a rather strange conversation where she was trying to convince me how wrong I was, and I was trying to convince her that, well, actually, I believe in the resurrection of the body. It's clear as day in Scripture. Um, People just need to read the Bible, that's all. And it's amazing the number of Christians that don't read their Bibles. Do you read your Bible? Do you read it every day? Are you trying to put the bits together? form the big picture, fit the bits of the jigsaw together. You'll never do it if you just read it here on Sunday and not pay that much attention to it, perhaps. But read the Bible. Read it every day. Fit it together. There is a resurrection to come. Salvation consists of the new birth now by the Holy Spirit and resurrection of the body Hereafter. And this is Jesus' work. This is him doing the will of his Father. To receive all that the Father has given him. All the people that the Father has given him. To lose none of them. And to raise them up at the last day. See how cast iron the whole thing is in Jesus' mind? This plan of salvation. just needs to do the will of his father it's an amazing plan of salvation god plans it fishes people out of the world and jesus takes them and guarantees that they are raised to eternal life do you want to come to god do you want to be saved by jesus christ and if you if you, if you do want to do that how will you know that you'll be saved so it brings us to our final point this morning all who believe shall be saved. All who believe shall be saved. This is what Jesus is doing. This is how it works out in, the human, in human beings. They believe and come to Jesus. This is where it all comes down to earth, as it were, in, in our application. Um, everyone who believes in him should have eternal life, and I will raise him up. the last day. The way that God does the drawing is principally about moving your heart to believe. How does God do the drawing? He moves your heart to believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. That's what he means by looking on the sun. It is a looking, it is a seeing, and it is a believing what you see. I just dig a little bit deeper. You, you, You may have noticed that the This passage was surrounded by the idea that Jesus is the bread of life. And believing in Jesus is also related to a hunger that people feel. We're going to talk about thirst this evening. Come back and let's hear what Jesus says about that. But here he's talking about hunger. And it's a hunger that... People will feel all the more as they come to Jesus. What is, How do you know that you believe in the Lord Jesus Christ? There is a kind of hunger that you cannot put down. When you're you're hungry, it's it's not like there's some kind of message comes up in your Fitbit or something. Oh, I'm hungry now. (laughs) I better go and eat something. Uh, you, You have a feeling. It's hard to define, isn't it? But you kind of know when you're hungry. It's the same when you believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and you want to go to him. There's a hunger there that you cannot shake off. That's what belief is like. Um, you know, and when you're hungry, uh, you, know, you, you know, you get that, sometimes you smell the smell of freshly cooked bread or something. You, think, you, start, you start dribbling, <laughs> salivating. <laughs> and uh, this is the kind of thing, that happens with Jesus. When God presents his son to people, there's a kind of hunger reaction when God is at work. There are people whom God plans to give to his son who have a need, uh, but for a time it doesn't bother them. But then when the time is right, they are presented with Jesus and suddenly they feel really hungry. And they must have this bread of life. And it's a bread, it's a hunger that only Jesus can satisfy. As we finish, I wonder if that's you this morning. Is it? Are you hungry for Jesus Christ? There are people who are hungry and are never fed Christ in their churches, and they should go to a church where they're fed uh, instead. Some people like that. Some some people pass through us because they've find in their own church that they're hungry and they're not being fed. There are also people in churches who are offered the bread of life, but they're simply not hungry for him. I hope and pray that you, every one of you, is hungry this morning for Jesus. It's a sure sign that God is at work in you. Don't resist. Come to him and be fed. Let's pray. Father, thank you for this wonderful passage. Thank you for the wonderful work that you do in drawing people and giving them to your son. Thank you that for many of us in this room, we have experienced that drawing power. We have felt that hunger. We have come to Jesus and discovered that he satisfies our souls. We pray that it be true of all of us. Jesus' name. Amen.